The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Here we are, PFTPM. Not not a huge buildup there, no sound, no anything, just here we are. It's a Friday. Somebody didn't read his text one day messages. Before, <laughs> one day before, oh, I read my text messages, I just forgot them. Uh, I read yeah. it, <laughs> I forgot, and then I was reminded as the show just started without any of the various quotes or whatnot that we otherwise would see, but here we are. One day before I make my first trip anywhere since the pandemic began, since the scouting combine, we did go on a family vacation last year during that week or two when the world was normal again until it wasn't. Family, <laughs> get in a car. I've been around the same. I told you this last night. I've been around the same 15 yeah. to 20 people for the last two years. It really is bizarre. And trust me, they're probably very much looking forward to not being around me for the next eight or nine days while I'm in Los Angeles for... Super Bowl 56. But it has been an eventful week in the NFL, and thank you for tuning in today to get one more dose of the dysfunction that has characterized the National Football League. Miles, let's get to it. The Detroit Free Press had an article earlier today about Jim Harbaugh not getting the Vikings job. And the whole thing really does reek of the premise and plot of a bad sitcom where Harbaugh thought he was getting it. Harbaugh assumed he was getting it. The Vikings' attitude was not so fast. And I've heard different things about what happened throughout the course of the interview, and there's some scuttlebutt about maybe some players didn't want Harbaugh there. Maybe a Kirk Cousins would rather have a Kevin O'Connell, who he's worked with in the past. And I'd be stunned if the Wilfs kowtowed to Kirk Cousins, given, number one, the overall quality of his play when it counts, in four years. Number two, their inability to get to the playoffs more than once in four years. And number three, the fact that he's under contract for one more year, showing no indication or inclination to sign an extension and putting the Wilfs in a position where they may have to compete on the open market to keep his services beyond this season if they even want him. So if they listened to him at all, if they allowed themselves to be influenced at all by Kirk Cousins in this process, shame on them. Yeah, well, look, he's still the quarterback right now. I mean, I don't necessarily think he's going to be uh, for the long term in Minnesota. I don't even know if they would want him to be there in the long term in Minnesota. I mean, he's a decent quarterback. And, I mean, yesterday you called him one of your most – or maybe it was two days ago. I don't remember. You called him one of your most underrated players in the game, I was joking. It was Uh, sarcastic. It didn't seem sarcastic. sarcastic. I wasn't wasn't being sarcastic when I said that about Robert Woods. Either way, you know, I, there's just, it's a weird sort of disconnect when you have a guy like a Harbaugh who goes into something, maybe thinking it's some sort of coronation, and then he comes out of it, and he, and he doesn't ex- exactly even have the job, right? But there clearly was some sort of interest, and probably a lot of interest on Harbaugh's part, in going back to the NFL and doing it with the Minnesota Vikings. you got to think about that timing, right? He left 
Michigan on National Signing Day to go and do this interview. Like, if that doesn't indicate that there's, like, some serious interest in some, yeah, I'm going to do this, then I don't really know what else does. The report from the Wolverine.com that landed on Tuesday, Jim Harbaugh plans yeah. to become the next coach of the Vikings. I mean, it really He did is. plan that. And yeah. We've said it before. He did plan. Sometimes plans change, not because mm-hmm. you change them, but because when you get to Wally World, it's not open. There's another movie from the 80s that I'm sure you haven't seen. But uh, Harbaugh told the Detroit Free Press, Mitch Album specifically, that it was a one-time thing. He's done chasing NFL jobs. But he admitted exactly what I had heard, exactly why I continued throughout this hiring process to keep an eye on Jim Harbaugh. There was a tugging at me that I was once that close to a Super Bowl and I didn't get it. How many times have we said that the last three weeks? He wants a Super Bowl win. He's 58. There's only so many spins of the dial left for him as a coach. He wants to win a Super Bowl. He was waiting for someone to offer him an opportunity. Here's the quote. Some jobs came open. I was contacted by the Vikings. For better or worse, it was something I wanted to explore. I went in thinking, I'm going to have 100% conviction on this. And if they have 100% conviction on this, then it's something I'm going to do. That tells us he went there intending to take the job. He wanted it. And listen, listen. Am I above saying I told you so if the Vikings stink with Kevin O'Connell? Would I be one to never mention again that they could have had Jim Harbaugh? <laughs> I've, I've got my talking points already etched in stone. I've already said it. I've written it. They made a mistake. They should have gone with Jim Harbaugh instead of the latest Sean McVay assembly line product. There's always going to be another one of those. There's always going to be somebody you could take from the Sean McVay coaching tree if that's what you want to do later. You had an opportunity for now. Fortune favors the brave. And that's not just a catchphrase to get you to buy crypto and drive up the price so the people who got in earlier can get out with a profit and leave you holding the bag. That is a fundamental truth that applies to sports. Fortune favors the brave. And the Vikings ultimately got timid. And you know what, the, you know what I think the problem is? I, I'm, it's taken me a while to build up to it today. The problem is the Wilfs don't live in Minnesota. The Wilfs aren't there every day. And I think they're concerned if we're not here to monitor the situation, it could implode because Jim Harbaugh is a little intense and there's no one here to serve as the principal. And that could be a problem. And then if they lived in Minnesota and worked in Minnesota, they may have been willing to do it. Well, maybe, but also, I mean, you, you have to be all in on Harbaugh, right? Because I mean, he said in that quote, you know, that he was going into it with 100% conviction. And, you know, his whole thing is we got to attack the day with an enthusiasm unknown to mankind. And if you're not all in on that, if you have any sort of trepidation with that, then you really shouldn't hire Harbaugh because you're not aligned with the way he wants to run the program. And we know that he can come in and run a successful football program, right? He did it in 2011 when there was a lockout. And he turned that thing around like that in San Francisco. So... I, I mean, I understand if there's any kind of trepidation with that, you really can't do it. You know, if you think that Kwesi Adolfo Mensa is going to get run over by Harbaugh and that's not what you want to have happen, then you can't hire him. And I, I don't know. I, I understand why they would want alignment between the GM and the head coach. And I don't know. I, we don't know exactly what was going on in there. And, you know, you said you've heard some different things, but 
if there was some sort of disconnect throughout the day between the way Minnesota wants to run its franchise and the way Harbaugh wants to run an NFL franchise, then you really can't hire him because you already know that some it's going to be off from day one. And, you know, despite the fact that, yeah, he wins, he's doing this. If there's a way that the owners want to run their franchise and the coach doesn't align with that, then it's never going to work. And it's probably best for both parties that it didn't work. Well, I understand that. But sometimes the owners have to adjust the way they run the franchise to the habits and idiosyncrasies and Everything else that would fit into that bucket, I can't think of another $10 word like penultimate to throw in there, so I'll just throw in the towel. But uh, sometimes you got to adjust to the guy who has proven he can do it. That's what I keep coming back to. This entire process of hiring a coach is a roll of the dice. It is a crapshoot, especially when you are hiring someone who has never been a head coach before. It is a fundamentally different skill set. It is a fundamentally different reality. You have to make a projection as an owner and general manager. Is this person suited to do a job he's never done before? You're not going to find out until he does it. You try to make a projection based upon whether or not he's ready to do it based on the evidence you gather and the people you talk to and the investigation you do, etc. Here's a guy who was 44-19-1, almost got to the Super Bowl his first year with the 49ers, even though they were 6-10 and the year before, and... There was no off-season program, lockout, wiped out everything, showed up early August, attacked the day with a, an enthusiasm unknown to man, and almost got to the Super Bowl. But for Kyle Williams, a couple of months punts, they would have gotten there. Got to the Super Bowl the next year, almost won it, in Colin Kaepernick's 10th start. And, and then things started to go sideways. And I think they started to go sideways because the 49ers didn't know how to deal with him. Jed York didn't know how to deal with him. Trent Baalke didn't know how to deal with him. Quesio Dofo Mensa was there the last two years of Jim Harbaugh's time with the 49ers. And he emerged from that experience saying... Hey, if I ever become a GM, number one on my list, Jim Harbaugh. And that's the tragedy here, that the Wilfs didn't trust the guy they hired to be the general manager of their team to let Jim Harbaugh be the coach. I don't care if the interview was awkward. I don't care if things got clumsy. I don't care if people were texting the Wilfs trying to talk them out of it, players or whoever, others in the front office who felt threatened by the arrival of Jim Harbaugh because, God forbid, he might want to do things in a way that would yield more success than the Vikings have had. People get very safe and comfortable in their complacency, and they don't want anyone to stir it up. And they don't care about whether, you know, they don't care like fans do. All fans care about is winning. People who have those jobs care about keeping their jobs. And, yes. yeah, winning helps, but if you feel threatened by the arrival of a new coach who may do things differently in the quest to win, hey, you don't want that. You'll just stick with dog paddle. I don't want to learn how to do the breaststroke. That's too hard. And if I'm not good at it, I won't be on the swim team. Just let me keep doing the dog paddle, please. That's the problem. And, and it's unfortunate. And again, I keep coming back to this. The people who own these teams have one qualification. They had enough money to buy it. That's it. You got enough money to buy it. How much money do they have? A lot. Okay, you're in. Doesn't matter if you're going to be good as an owner. In fact, the smart owners love it when people buy teams who don't know what they're doing because it makes it easier for them to win football games and pursue championships. If, if I'm an owner of an NFL team and my team is good, I want a bunch of rich idiots to buy teams because, number one, 
We have an owner in place who has the money and the resources to properly run a team. Number two, person has no idea what they're doing when it comes to trying to win championships. That's what I want. I, I've told you this story before, I think. Miles, if not you, I know I've said it on PFTPM. One time I was uh, in the presence of Robert Kraft and somebody asked him the question, what do you think about some of these owners who don't live and work in the city where their team is? And he said, I love competing against them. I mean, they, you know, the good owners don't want to have other good owners around. You're not threatened by other good owners. You're threatened by you're, – wait, you're, you're threatened by other good owners. You're not threatened by people who don't know what they're doing. And, but that's the problem. For the fan base, you're stuck with the owner, like Jed York said six years ago. Can't fire yes. the owner. That's the problem. That's, and it can't be fixed. Because how many people are actually going to stop rooting for a team because they think the owners are incompetent? Are you really going to stop – if you think Stephen Ross is incompetent, but you've been a Dolphins fan since you were five years old because your dad was a Dolphins fan, your mom was a Dolphins fan, the family is full of Dolphins fans, it is ingrained on your soul like your DNA. If you would get a DNA test, it would be 0.1% Miami Dolphin. You, what, what can you do? You've got no choice. That, that's, that's, on one hand, it's great that fans feel that passionate. On the other hand, it really sucks for the fans whose teams are owned by people who have no business owning football teams. Rant over. Wow, that was great. I mean, it kind of started with, you know, a quote by 21 Savage. You know, how much money you got? A lot. I don't even think you even know what that is, but you did it. I have it no fun. idea what 21 Savage is. <laughs> That's okay, Mike. Maybe I'll play you some 21 Savage when you get out here. Um, I don't even really know where to go off of that. You just said so much. You know, that was just... Uh, yeah, I agree with you. Like, people aren't going to just stop rooting for their teams. What they can do is they, they'll stop spending money, right? You, when teams are really bad, people get apathetic, and so they don't go spend money on tickets. They don't go to the games, and then you have these empty seats, right? That was part of the issue with the Giants. They, everybody became apathetic. It's the same thing we're seeing with the Texans, right? Even though they seem to want to hire Josh McCown, like everybody's been pretty apathetic toward them because they've been really bad since losing uh, two years ago to the Chiefs in the divisional round. You know, we can probably say the same thing about Miami. People are going to start getting a little bit apathetic if they don't hire a good coach and they don't really start winning soon. So I, I guess that's kind of the only thing there that, you know, guys are really going to start paying attention to. But, I mean, in the case of Minnesota, it's not like Sean McVay's coaching tree has been fruitless, right? One of these pals of Sean McVay is going to face Sean McVay in the Super Bowl next Sunday. So Yeah, he got Joe well, Burrow, too. He got Joe Burrow. Yeah. Okay. Got Joe Burrow. But the, so, so, you know, what, who knows what Kevin O'Connell's going to do with Kirk Cousins? There may be some hope for you guys yet over there. You know, that's all I'm going to say. That's, that's it. Um, all, all I'm saying is they could have rolled the dice with Harbaugh and if it didn't work, you move on and then you hire the flavor of the month in whatever month it is that you're hiring a coach again. That, and, and I, I would, I would have, I would have found a way to coexist with Jim Harbaugh because he's a proven commodity. He has proven that he can win. That's where they screwed up. Big cat was on the show yesterday. He's a bears fan. And he said, I was afraid they were going to hire him. That's all you need to hear. That's all you need to hear. I think so. I mean, if well, fans of the other teams, because I, I think that's not an uncommon sentiment. I think fans of other teams in the division were probably watching it saying, I hope to hell they don't hire Jim Harbaugh. I hope well, they don't hire him. Maybe, and probably other teams in the NFC were thinking that too. But, uh, you know, it, it's, 
it's one of those things where if you don't, if from ownership, you don't feel like you're aligned with the guy, then you don't hire him. Now, again, I, uh, I, frankly, no. I agree There's with you. There's something wrong with ownership. There's something wrong with ownership. Yes, absolutely. Because you should be prioritizing winning and you have someone who has proven that he can come in and turn a team that was six and 10 into one that gets to the championship conference championship game. Right. The, the Vikings are better than the Niners were at that point right now. Do you think I'm off base with that? So they're probably closer to it. So, yeah, I mean, this was a unique opportunity. And now we'll see if Harbaugh ever wants to have another flirtation with the NFL. Even though he said he didn't today, I I bet at some point he will. Yeah, next year he will. Because (laughs) that desire, when you look at his full quotes, the Super Bowl is the ultimate prize in the sport of football. The yes. second best prize is a national championship. Uh, so let's go get one of those. I don't even know if it's that. Next year, next year, next year, he's going to want to jump on whatever opportunity comes his way. He's just got to get through this year now. He's got to put the toothpaste back in the toothpaste holder long enough to get through the 2022 season. And then next year, he'll once again be interested in whatever openings may arise. And it would be very funny if there's an opening in the NFC North, although there probably won't be. I doubt that the Lions will be firing Dan Campbell after his second year. I highly doubt that Matt Eberflus will be getting a pink slip after one year with the Bears. And Matt LaFleur has built up a decent amount of equity. The Vikings won't have to worry about Jim Harbaugh landing in the division, but they may have to worry about him landing in the conference. And that's the conference you want to land in now. If you want to try to get to a Super Bowl, that's a far easier path than the AFC, especially with the possibility that Aaron Rodgers is going to jump to a team in the AFC. Doug Peterson has jumped to a team in the AFC, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Peterson and the Eagles won the Super Bowl four years ago. Peterson was fired by the Eagles after the 2020 season. He becomes the head coach at a time when it looked like it was going to be Byron Leftwich, but the reports, the indications are Leftwich made a power play. Good for him. Doesn't want to work with Trent Baalke. Wants Adrian Wilson to be the GM. And I almost feel like Shad Khan, the owner of the team, because they never push back against any of this. The PR messaging has been bad. And, and it's not Amy Polchik who's to blame here, I think. I think she's kept in the dark on a lot of things. I think that, that, that ownership has decided to keep a lot of cards close to the vest. And I have a weird feeling that the Jaguars, specifically Colin, took the attitude and approach that I've got this Leftwich Adrian Wilson possibility in one hand. Unless Trent Baalke brings me a better alternative, I'm going to go with Leftwich and Wilson and say goodbye to Baalke, but let's see what Baalke can do. And Baalke brought Doug Peterson to the table, and that's what Khan decided to do. But, you know, even though and, – and you'll see, oh, every hire is a great hire. Oh, great hire. Hey, they got a Super Bowl-winning coach. Yeah, he also got fired last year, too. You're going you're gonna to mention that part? But um, – and, and it was dysfunction between him and Carson Wentz. I, I don't know what to think of Doug Peterson right now, but the Jaguars thought enough of him to make him the coach. And one of the reasons he's the coach is he's yet to try to run Trent Baalke out the door. Although some think that if Rick Spielman joins the team, it could eventually be Spielman and Peterson, not Balky and Peterson running the team. Right. And it, it seems like things are on the verge of Spielman actually joining the team. I mean, there's not been anything definitive that uh, says that his contract is signed or whatnot, but it seems to have been trending that way over the last 24, 48 hours, whatever it's been. But I think when you think about Peterson, he doesn't necessarily have the experience of coaching up the young quarterback and keeping him at that level. 
Right? I mean, we can talk this way about Carson Wentz. And I think some of that certainly has to do with Carson Wentz himself, right? I think the, the 2021 season with the Colts kind of spells that out there. But, you know, when Doug Peterson was at his best, Nick Foles was his quarterback. So I don't know if there's just like something special between him and Nick Foles or what it's going to be now between him and Trevor Lawrence. But the most important thing that the Jaguars have to do is develop that young QB into being the guy that they thought he would be when they drafted him at number one overall last year. So if Doug Peterson can do that, then yes, it's a great hire. Doug Peterson certainly has a lot of success. You know, he's won a Super Bowl. However, there's never been a Super Bowl winning coach to go to another team and then win another Super Bowl. So he's going to have to buck that trend. Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen in Jacksonville anytime soon, but you never know. Maybe they will. Maybe they'll quietly put together a winner, and we'll see what happens. But that's one of the reasons why people expect Sean Payton to be back in the NFL sooner rather than later. He's keenly aware of the fact that no one has won a Super Bowl with one team and then won a Super Bowl with another team, and whoever does it first will have been the first one to do it, no matter how many times it ever happens in the future. Some news out of Miami. Mike McDaniel and Kellen Moore interviewing with the Dolphins Friday and Saturday. McDaniel, the offensive coordinator of the 49ers. Kellen Moore, the offensive coordinator of the Cowboys. Dolphins just kind of quietly stumbling around trying to figure out who their coach is going to be. I mean, once Brian Dayball took the Giants job, they should have just asked Bill Belichick early in the process, do we have a shot or is this guy going to the Giants? Because that made the most sense from the standpoint of, of salvaging Tua. That, this whole idea that we're all – and I don't really – I don't know how much I buy of this we're all in with Tua thing. I just feel like they needed to try to make themselves look not dysfunctional after they fired Brian Flores, so they blamed all of the anti-Tua stuff on him, and they want to give Tua a clean slate and, and hope that the next coach will get the most out of him. But we'll see. We'll see. It could be McDaniel. It could be more. But, but that vacancy is just kind of there. It's just kind of weird. You know, the, the three remaining vacancies are there for different reasons. The Saints are only 10 days into their search. The Texans, I think, are just waiting until maybe halftime of the Super Bowl to announce that Josh McCown is the new head coach. I think right during halftime would be the perfect time to do it and have it not be noticed. That's way better than 15 minutes after the start of the early games on a November Sunday when the Panthers fired Joe Brady. But December, with the Dolphins... Was it December or was it November? Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, whatever. I thought it was November. Yeah. I thought it was November. Yeah. Uh, but then, then there's the – okay, then there's the Dolphins, and I just don't know what the hell they're going to do. It's just weird. Oh. Like, I don't know what they're going to do. And I feel like they're currently reeling from everything that's happened this week that hiring a coach has become, like, priority four or five. Well, I mean, it kind of should be, right? I mean, these are some pretty serious things that they're, they're dealing with there. Um, but, I mean, when you're talking about two guys in McDaniel and Kellen Moore – Yes, they presided over some successful offenses. And, you know, you, you talk, you, you hear people talk about what McDaniel's done um, with uh, Kyle Shanahan over the course of the time that they've been together. And it's been a long time that they've worked together, going back to their days, you know, even in Houston um, in the early part of the last decade. So they understand each other very, very well. They understand how that offense should work. I don't necessarily know if, like, I'm thinking, man, that's going to be a great thing with Tua Tungavailoa. If it's me and I'm the Dolphins, I'm still thinking about Deshaun Watson, right, and the possibility that I can get him. 
And then if you have somebody like a Kellen Moore who presided over the league's top offense, or you have somebody at McDaniel who has such experience in such a successful offensive system, then you're in really good shape with a guy like that at QB. Tua, eh, sorry, Tua Non. I don't know. I just don't really see it. Don't don't stir up Tua Non. Don't. I already I'm did. going to LA, you and did. I don't. The there has to you be. Mentioned them, and you stirred them up. Their ears perk up whenever they. Was that the Dolphins? Are they talking about the Dolphins coaching search? Is that going to be something about Tua Tonga Vailoa? Tua Non was like Tua. They were already ready, man. So like I just addressed them by name because I knew they were already here. So I might as well say hello. I assume there's an LA chapter of Tua Non. I'm going <laughs> to try to avoid them as best I can. I I, I just you mentioned Deshaun Watson. And Stephen Ross said after he fired Brian Flores that he has no plans to pursue whatever it is. You know, plans change, uh, as we've already discussed this segment. I think it's harder now to get Deshaun Watson than it was with all this other stuff hanging around the team. You get to a point where there's only so many distractions and issues and problems you can deal with. I don't know that they can take on Deshaun Watson. And they were willing to trade for him if he resolved his 22 lawsuits, 18 of them were poised to settle. There were four holdouts or he would have been a member and would be right now a member of the Dolphins. I I think at some point they just have to look elsewhere for the franchise quarterback. And I don't know where they're going to find him, but they have to look elsewhere. But this whole quest for a franchise quarterback is what's created the mess that Stephen Ross is in, in part, because he wanted to be so bad in 2019 that he'd be in position to get Initially, Tua Tua breaks his hip. Then Joe Burrow becomes the guy, and they don't have him. So we'll see what happens with that. One last bit of news. Sashi Brown, whose name resurfaced this week in NFL circles because he was lumped in by Hugh Jackson, the former Browns coach, along with the others who supposedly got cash incentives for losing, but it's not the same bright line as the Brian Flores allegation about Stephen Ross. And Hugh Jackson backpedaled eventually and I think what Hugh Jackson eventually said is along the lines of we had a bunch of factors unrelated to winning games that resulted in us getting bonuses and when you look at all those factors you could maybe think that they're not prioritizing winning they were prioritizing building a team that was going to win over the long term and not make winning a priority in the short term that's not nearly as catchy as the boss offered me a hundred thousand dollars for each game I lost Uh, Well, yeah, exactly. And it's kind of like, well, no bleep, Sherlock. We all saw what the plan was. They basically told us what the plan was. So it's not like there can really be anything that nefarious going on there when we all knew that they were going to tear down the team in order to build it up. That's exactly why Sashi Brown was there in the first place. So, I mean, at least Sashi Brown's not going to ruin another franchise. But I guess if he's going to those rat birds, maybe I wish he were. Don't you want him to? Don't you want it to be a Trojan horse type of a thing? And that's where Sashi Brown is going. He's he's taking a job in the Uh. Ravens front office. He'd been working with Monumental Sports and the Wizards since 2019. So he got out of football, went to basketball. Now he's getting back in to football. But Eric DaCosta is the GM there, and I think he's going to be the GM there for as long as he wants to be. The the Ravens quietly have become the model of stability, other than the Steelers. But to have DaCosta, who's been with the team forever, like 96, I think the first year they went to Baltimore is when he joined the team. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Harbaugh's been the coach since 2008. So they're doing something right there. Only, only have two Super Bowls to show for it, two Super Bowl wins to show for it in the last 22 years, but that's two more than a lot of teams, and they're always mm-hmm. in the conversation. They're well, always it's nice in the, when you have, the mix. 
Yeah, yeah. It's nice when you have that infrastructure of a team that's been around since 1946 and you can just use that and all the knowledge that comes with yes, it because you moved yes. the team to Baltimore the, when it didn't deserve to be moved the, out of, you know, the shores of Lake Erie. But, you know, well, that's just the way it is. Just the way it is. It, remember, it was the Browns that moved to Baltimore, not the Steelers. It was yes, the Browns. Yes, no, I know. I, yeah, the Browns you. is the Browns. Well, no, the not the original franchise. That one's in Baltimore, and the Browns is the Ravens, but the new Browns is the Browns, sort of. My niece grew up in Columbus, <laughs> which is, I don't know how how close it is to either place. It's, is it equidistant? It's about I'll call two it equidistant. Yeah, yeah, it's about two hours from Cleveland and around same. two hours from Cincinnati. Yes, yeah. So she texted me during the Bengals-Chiefs game on Sunday. Wow. Bengals. And it's like, yeah, Hey honey, you picked the wrong team. And, and cause she could have gone either way. She picked the wrong team in Ohio. And she said, I'm happy for the Bengals. And I texted her back. No, you're not. And she responded, you're right. I'm not. So, <laughs> hey, at least your Browns swept the Bengals. Does that make it any better? If the Bengals win the Super Bowl? your team swept the team that won the championship. Uh, no, because they were sitting, the Browns were sitting at home watching the things just like I have been, you know, because I actually wasn't at home. I've, you know, been at the game. So I don't, I don't know. No, they're, they're, they're out of it. And they may or may not need to upgrade the quarterback, but I won't start talking about that because then we'll never get to break. Yeah. Don't talk about Baker Mayfield. (laughs) Don't except at the very start of the show. And then I'll leave. I'll go get dinner in the oven, take a nap. Uh, maybe work out, and I'll get back in time for you to end your your soliloquy about Baker Mayfield. Let's take a break. Latest developments regarding Daniel Snyder and the investigation involving the Washington Commanders. Something that happened today, I think, is extremely important, and I want to make sure that everyone out there understands exactly what it means and what it reveals about the NFL and the Washington Commanders. We'll discuss that next here on PFT. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. All right, so today was interesting. Yesterday, let's set the stage here. Washington football team, now the Washington Commanders, and I'm going to call them the Washington Commanders in the context of this investigation because they don't get to whitewash their brand by changing the name of the team. New name, same team. It's the Washington Commanders workplace misconduct investigation as far as I'm concerned. There was a roundtable hearing yesterday before Congress where multiple former members of the team showed up and told stories about things that they encountered during their time working there. There was some back and forth yesterday about Tiffany Johnston's claims of misconduct by Daniel Snyder, and he denied it, and that went back and forth. And it turns out the NFL says these are new allegations because she didn't cooperate with the Beth Wilkinson investigation. And I thought, well, that's odd. Why would she not cooperate with the Beth Wilkinson investigation? So Based on some things we learned today, I wonder why anyone cooperated with the Beth Wilkinson investigation. 
The committee that's investigating this situation released some documents. And I'm going to try to make it as simple as possible. And, Miles, I'm serious. Ask me questions if you want to help flesh this out. Big Cat does yeah. that all the time. Sims does that all the time. Because this is, this is esoteric lawyer stuff. What happens from time to time is that if you've got two different parties that are in the same pot of trouble, you will get what's called – it's usually called a joint defense agreement. They called it a common interest agreement between the NFL and the Washington Commanders. What it means is, look, we have a mess here. Our interests are aligned. We'd like to create a situation where we can communicate among each other without jeopardizing the attorney-client privilege. The attorney-client privilege is a very simple concept. Anything you say to your lawyer, your lawyer says to you for the purposes of receiving, developing, getting, using legal advice is protected. It can never be disclosed. It can never be discussed. It can never be invaded. But if you talk to somebody else about what your lawyer told you, it becomes fair game. So there's nothing that Daniel Snyder could have said to Roger Goodell without jeopardizing the attorney-client privilege between him and Beth Wilkinson without this agreement. They needed this agreement so they can share information and protect the privilege. That's the the basic fact. But what it means, especially when you consider the engagement letter that was set by Beth Wilkinson's firm to the Washington commanders when she was first hired and you read the language of it. And again, I'm trying to keep this as understandable as possible. Bottom line is this. The investigation was far different than what we were led to believe it is. This was not a deflate gate investigation. This was not a bounty gate investigation. This was not a Richie incognito bully gate investigation where someone was going to do the investigation and create a report that was going to be made available publicly to let everyone know what happened and what they were going to do about it. That's not what this was. This was an effort to circle the wagons and investigate these claims for the purposes of best defending against any lawsuits that would be filed. And Miles, I, and, and I, the next step for me is to find out what these individuals were told when they were recruited to tell their stories, because if someone comes to you and says, we understand you worked for a company that had a toxic workplace for the last 10 years, we are investigating everything that happened so that we can properly determine what occurred. We can make sure it never happens again, and we can hold all people accountable. Will you cooperate? That's one way to put it. And if I hear it that way, I say, yeah, okay, I'll cooperate. If they come to you and say, we've been hired by your former employer because yeah, there's been some problems at work for the last 10 years, and we think we may get sued. We think we may be sued by you. We'd like for you to tell us your story so we can properly plan to defend ourselves against any and all lawsuits, you know, including the one you may file someday. If you tell me that, I'm hanging up the phone. I'm slamming the door. I'm politely inviting you to get the F out of my house. And I get the impression that they may have led the folks to believe. I know they led us to believe that it was the first thing. The truth is it was the second thing. And I was disappointed the way this was all presented today and the way it was reported. It really didn't hammer that point home. This is the, the most glaring example and this isn't hyperbole. This is the most glaring example of league office chicanery that I have encountered in 20-plus years of covering the NFL. They lied and misrepresented grossly what this was 
in comparison to what it is. This is a we must protect the golden goose and all of its eggs exercise. This isn't we must get to the truth in order to prevent these things from happening again and create the kind of transparency that we've given you, you know, when we want to give you transparency. When we're not worried about getting sued, we'll give you all the transparency you want. When we're worried about getting sued, we're going to act like we're in it for transparency, but we're not. Which makes the excuse they've given us, the BS excuse, we're just trying to protect the people who requested anonymity, so we're not giving you anything, they're using those people as human shields. That's a lie. That is a flat-out falsehood. It's a flat-out deception. They don't care about those people. They care about themselves. They're using those people so they don't have to tell us the truth because the truth doesn't sound very good. Right, right. Well, and to your point about, you know, how the second thing, if somebody's coming in and saying, well, we need to know this information um, so that if you were to sue us, then we can be better prepared for it. So Deborah Katz, who's a lawyer who represents more than you know 40 women who are a part of this Washington uh, investigation, tweeted today that not a single witness, not one, which is her emphasis, would have participated in the Wilkinson investigation had they been told the truth about the NFL and Washington's joint defense agreement this reeks. So... Given that information, it appears that the women who came forward in the investigation were misled about the true intentions of this investigation, which and you put it this way earlier, Mike, in one of your posts at PFT, that the, the real reason that, that they did this was not to get to the truth and get accountability. It was to get to the truth and then bury it. Yeah, that's right. She wasn't a finder. She was a fixer. She was hired to and that that makes it necessarily not an independent investigation. It's an investigation conducted by someone who ultimately is representing our interests by crafting the investigation. And look, it's very simple. Just think about all the issues that have come up about the Brian Flores case, all the factual twists and turns, the different ways that we can perceive reality. We talked about this yesterday. You could have three different people witness the exact same incident and have three different stories and all testify truthfully as to what they saw. So the lawyer who performs the investigation and crafts the final report or not a final report as the case may be has a lot of power. And I think they ultimately didn't create a final report because they knew it was so bad. They never wanted any of it to be reduced to writing. They never wanted a single word to be put on paper as to what Beth Wilkinson believed had happened and what Beth Wilkinson believed should happen. Remember when 106.7, the fan in D.C., the sports junkies reported that they had secured a draft of Beth Wilkinson's recommendations and findings. Remember that while the investigation was happening, someone told me at the time, and I, I think this was speculation, but boy, it makes a ton of sense. This was Wilkinson's way of kind of, of kind of assuaging guilt, cleaning her soul. This is her way of getting the word out as to what went on. Because she knew it was all going to get buried. Again, it's, I think it's, no one's saying that that's what happened. But somebody from her firm or Wilkinson herself knew which way the wind was blowing here. And it was blowing all under the rug. And everything that she found. Now, I, now, now, countering that is the fact that she knew damn well going in what the game was. 
she knew she wasn't being hired to do an independent investigation that was going to be disclosed to everyone like Deflategate was. This was never going to be disclosed. That's the thing that people need to understand about today's developments. The documents that were released today mean this stuff was never going to be shared publicly. This was about finding out what happened, using it to best position yourself to defend against any litigation, and otherwise burying it from view. They were never going to have transparency here. And I hope people figure that out, and I hope more people say that this is BS and it needs to be changed. And I hope, I hope, Shireen's going to attend the commissioner's press conference next Wednesday. I'm going to make sure she's loaded up. My gut's her blood. I'm going to make sure she's loaded up with questions about this because these questions need to be asked. Well, yes. So and you bring up questions. So this is one that I have. This, this agreement that was between the NFL and Washington, is that sort of analogous to something like spousal privilege? Because that's kind of the way I'm thinking of it, where it's like, you know, you have these two and you can't get one of them to sort of testify against the other because of the information or the information that gets shared between them. What happens is it pulls multiple parties into the bubble that is protected by the attorney-client privilege. Without this agreement, you can't have communications between Roger Goodell and Dan Snyder about the things that Beth Wilkinson may or may not be finding. For example, and, and this, is, this is pure speculation, but, but if Dan Snyder were to have a conversation with Beth Wilkinson in the absence of a joint defense agreement, and Beth Wilkinson were to say, hey, Dan, you guys are screwed, and Dan were to pick up the text and in text, Roger, dear Roger, Beth says we're screwed. Without a defense agreement, joint defense agreement, that's fair game. The communication from Snyder to Goodell, right. Beth Wilkinson says we're screwed, fair game. With a joint defense agreement, that communication falls within the privilege. So it's kind of like having, you know, it's like having multiple members of the family represented by the same lawyer. You can have these conversations among yourselves to figure out what we're going to do and make sure that it's all buttoned up to make sure everyone's on the same page so that none of those communications that happen can ever be invaded by a lawsuit. And you, you only have that. See, this is what pisses me off, too. They're using the attorney-client privilege and the work product doctrine, which is basically a rule that says anything that the lawyer thinks of, any ideas, suggestions, recommendations, conclusions, those are all protected because you're trying to invade the mind of the lawyer as these things are reduced to writing. Those are put in place in anticipation of a lawsuit. They're using these to keep information from Congress, even though there's been no lawsuit filed. And I'd like to think that most statutes of limitations have already passed. I, I don't know why these people aren't suing. I, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe some of the cases can still be filed. But one of the questions that was raised yesterday by one of the Congress people who, who would like this stuff to all be you know put on the back burner so we can have hearings about the border crisis. But one of the things that was said that actually makes sense, why isn't there a lawsuit? That's what's amazing to me, because that's a way to force all this stuff out into the open. So that, that kind of leads to my next question is, you know, what can Congress do now that we have had this hearing and the, and the NFL says that it's turned over documents that it can turn over, but these things that are protected, they're going to keep private. Well, what Congress can do is eventually have a public hearing where 
Beth Wilkinson is required to testify. Roger Goodell is required to testify. Daniel Snyder is required to testify and others testify like they did in October of 2009 when they brought Roger Goodell and Demora Smith to Congress for an open hearing on the NFL's abysmal record of dealing with head trauma and protecting players from head trauma and telling players about the long-term risks of head trauma. That's the, that's the thing that this may be pointing toward. And there's the possibility of legislation that would apply to all employees and all employers about how to deal with these things. But that's where this is heading, potentially. And I hope it does. It may be our only way to begin to even scratch the surface of the truth. When we return, breaking down the Super Bowl matchup with a game of Take Your Pick. We'll do that next on this Friday edition of PFTPM. Hey, Coach. Um, what, what do you remember most about uh, coaching uh, Cooper Cup uh, when, when, when you were in L.A.? And what is it like to kind of see him develop into uh, uh, what he is now? He's, he's always had that in him. You know, he, he's one of the smartest players I've ever been around at any position. Um, he really approaches the game like a quarterback, to be quite honest with you. I, I'll, I'll never forget. I actually – you can write this down. I threw to him at his private workout at Eastern Washington. Split uh, <laughs> time with his backup quarterback, and, and we missed one throw on a back end line. Uh, hammer out, you know, I overthrew him and that was the only completion of the day, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, but, but Cooper, you know, he, he's one that he's a big picture thinker. So he really understands the structure of the defenses, the nuances of the route running. Um, and, and he cares about the run game as well. And so, uh, you know, there, there's oftentimes he would, he would screenshot, you know, pictures of, of defenses with run thoughts. You know, you'd, you'd wake up in the next morning to a midnight text from Cooper cup, you know, with thoughts on things that could help the offense. And so, um, he's, he's certainly rare that way. Zach Taylor talking about a guy he's going to have to try to slow down nine days from now when the Bengals take on the Rams at SoFi Stadium. Cooper Cup, one of the very best players in the NFL. A little Super Bowl 56, take your pick. Let's start with this. Which midseason acquisition will have a bigger impact for the Rams in the Super Bowl? Will it be Odo Beckham Jr. or Vaughn Miller? See, I, I kind of want to say Von Miller, but I, I think it's going to be Odell Beckham Jr. in part because the Bengals know that they've got to stop Cooper Cup. And so when Cooper Cup is going to be doubled or he's going to get covered, the guy that's going to be open is going to be Odell Beckham Jr. So I would bet, like right now, that Odell Beckham Jr. is going to have a bigger day in terms of like production, maybe catches, whatever, than Cooper Cup will in the, in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I think that it will be OBJ. I think he's gradually gotten better and better and better. Ultimate team guy because his incentives throughout the playoffs tied directly to team achievements. And and he's been great, and I think he will be great. I think this is exactly what he's played his whole life to do. I know that that's cliche, that everyone does it, but I feel like for him especially, the opportunity to play in a Super Bowl, he's wanted to be, he's craved to be on a winner all these years. I mean, he got stuck with the Browns for crying out loud. So he's, he's wanted this, not that, and he's finally getting this. You know, I'm just kidding. The Browns, the Browns are, are trending somewhere. Next uh, question. And with that, next question, Super Bowl 56. Which player in the game is the one with the most swag. Ooh, see, I like this one too, because it's, it's kind of Joe Burrow. And I'm like, I'm, try, I'm tempted to say Joe Burrow, but I'm going to say Aaron Donald because that dude has like chains that have 99s on them. And he's always got his own like, you know, personal lines or whatever. And like, if you look directly into the Aaron Donald 99 chain, you might go blind because that's how much, like, that's how much he spends on those things. That's how real those diamonds are. So give me Aaron Donald. 
Yeah, I, I, I actually now. I, you I, know I'll what define swag. Is, swag. Mike? Oh. I don't <laughs> stuff we all get when we go to the Dunder Mifflin, no. uh, the Northeast Regional Sales Convention. Stuff we all mm. get swag. No. Um, I, I, I don't view it as clothing as much as its attitude, and obviously it's Joe Burrow. The attitude that, and it's it's an attitude that doesn't fit the package. Here's this grown-up Macaulay Culkin from Home Alone who's a badass. That's what creates swag, that he's able to transcend what you would expect from Joe Burrow and strike a completely different image of cool and confidence and I will I will. There's no question about it. I will defeat you. Now, I like Evan McPherson's swag, too, from the standpoint of his confidence. He's not missing a kick. I love the, the explanation, the game against the Titans, when they had the opportunity to kick the field goal. Evan McPherson said to the backup quarterback, Brandon Allen, well, I guess we're going to the AFC Championship. I love that. I love uh, that. There are so many kickers now that are just – they have that attitude where it is just automatic. Robbie Gold kicking through the – the uh, the opposing team doing his warm-ups. I mean, there's just some badass funny. kickers right now. I kind of like that. So, all right. What will be the most overplayed storyline of Super Bowl 56? Uh, either Matthew Stafford taking over for golf, and then he comes in and they actually go to the Super Bowl, or uh, McVay, it's McVay versus McVay's assistant. Uh, one of those two. Yeah, I, I – because the Super Bowl got knocked so far onto the back burner with all the stuff that happened this week, no. there really hasn't been a chance for any storyline to get overplayed. That's actually so true. It's, it's kind of like it's a one-week lag between conference championship and Super Bowl. I kind of like that. So I'm going to say none. I'm going to say this year because of the Tom Brady retirement, the Brian mm. Flores lawsuit, the Stephen Ross $100,000 bar twist, the Washington football team investigation, we haven't had a chance to overblow any of the storylines heading into Super Bowl 56. All right, let's take a break. We got some questions that we didn't get to yesterday, and I felt bad, and they're good questions, so we're going to get to them today. We'll wrap up this Friday edition of PFTPM right after this. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. There are a lot of requests. This is special to a lot of people, but I think this team is so special, Michael. You know, these guys really care about one another. Um, they're doing everything in their power to put together, you know, a couple good weeks of preparation so that we can really uh, put an exclamation point on this season in, in a positive way against an excellent challenge. But um, I think it has been special. It's been kind of a whirlwind, you know, really for, for everybody. And I told my fiance, if I have to answer a question about tickets, then that person is not getting any. <laughs> Sean McVay, don't bother to ask him for tickets. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Well, Miles, let's uh, answer some questions, Miles. Are you ready to do that, Miles? Miles, Miles, Miles. Name Uh, repetition. That's the the Andy Bernard. Name repetition, 
Personality mirroring, positive reinforcement. Sean McVay went to the same seminar that Andy Bernard went to. All right. At Cody Marmon, assuming Josh McCown is named Houston's head coach, why did they have a gap year if he was their guy from day one to pair with Nick Casario? This one's easy, and this gets right to one of the claims that Brian Flores is making. Teams will hire black coaches when they are in this short term, we don't really give a crap about winning. We're not going to be very good mode. So let's make David Cully the guy who's going to be the, the one who gets 4-13 and 13 hung on his permanent record while we get through a crap year. And then we'll hire the actual coach that we want long term next year. Yep. Yeah, it's that simple. You know, that you can just say the answer is 4-13. and 13, And now that's not on Josh McCown's record. That's on David Cully. I also think that Jonathan Gannon is going to be the winner of this situation where the finalists are McCown, Gannon, and Flores, Brian Flores, for the head coaching job. Because I don't think I don't think they can hire Josh McCown at this point oh. after the Brian Flores lawsuit. I don't think they can. Even oh. them, even them, even Jafar, even Jafar. At some point, Cal McNair is going to knock the staff away from Jafar and say, I, you can't hire your best friend to be the head coach. He has no experience whatsoever as a coach. You can't do it. I think Gannon becomes the compromise candidate. This is my gut feeling. All right, Neil watches PFT. If you could replace the Pro Bowl with something else, what would you replace it with? Uh, nothing. I don't know. Like, just some cash incentives and, like, Maybe the skills challenge, although I don't know about you, but I didn't certainly didn't watch that last night. I, I think the Pro Bowl has become a joke, and I think it certainly should not be tied to contracts and contract incentives going forward anymore. Well, I also think that, like you do, I would replace it with nothing. Name the team, because that's where the incentives come from. But, you know, it's funny. A few years ago, the commissioner would huff and puff about the quality of play. At some point, he's realized we cannot reconcile – Concern for player health and safety and actually expecting these guys to go beat the crap out of each other in a meaningless game. So they're fine with it being glorified two-hand touch. I'm fine with it, too. I, I think any player out there who gets invited should say, no, thank you. I'm not going. Real quickly on the way out the door, you got to put your chips on the table. Is it Rodgers to the Broncos or the field? That comes from Broncos Stevens. He probably would like to have Aaron Rodgers. Broncos to the field, who you got? Uh, give me the field because at least right now, I just, I don't see why Aaron Rodgers would want to go anywhere else. Stay in Green Bay. Well, also, also the Tennessee Titans, that possibility that popped up recently. If they can work out the salary cap angle with Ryan Tannehill, hey, if you're going to go to an AFC team, why not go to the one that was the number one seed that can run the AFC South and be the one seed again and maybe win in the postseason with Aaron Rodgers. That's it. See you next week. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 